You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This Is Oklahoma Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hearn. Today, we're down at the Tower Theater with Chad and Steven. Um, super, I mean, this place is like an Oklahoma institution, really, isn't it? Uh, well, you know, opened in 37, 1937. Older than most of the history, almost older than most of the history in Oklahoma. Um, boys, thanks for this. This is really cool. I'm uh, excited to dive in. So... Um, yeah, so this you know brief history on this place. It kind of opened 1937 and then did well, I guess, until kind of you know 1989, um, and then briefly opened in the 90s. And then you guys stepped in, right? Kind of a couple of years ago and decided, well, let's let's see what this thing can do and make this thing a new, you know, as I guess Oklahoma City was diving, you know, kind of growing, um, well, has been growing over the last 10 years. Uh, let's. Let's just talk about it. How, why, how, what, when, like what, yeah. what does, I mean, why <laughs> Tower Theater, right? <clears throat> I mean, it, Tower Theater, I've lived here my whole life, and Tower Theater's always been, I mean, my whole life it's been dark pretty much. <clears throat> and it's always been a place that a lot of people talked about and wondered when it was going to come back, when it was going to reopen, why isn't anybody doing anything with it? Um, and I think if you lived in Oklahoma for the last 30 years, this area didn't really sort of lend itself to a resurgence until the last five years, really. And I say five only because that's when property developers started getting their eyes on it um, and started to, like, have plans and start to acquire things. And that's kind of what happened here is some property developers, uh, Pivot Project, bought the property and kind of had the vision that I think most people in the city had for it, that it would come back to life in some fashion some people wanted it to be a concert venue. Some people wanted it to be a movie theater again. Some people just wanted it to be anything with lights on. Um, <clears throat> so they they spent a couple of years actually rehabbing the property and bringing it back to life and restoring the internal structure of it and even redesigning it a little bit. Um, and with the idea that they wanted to see it, and I think in their minds they saw it as a concert venue really was what they, what they were hoping for. And so um, we were just in proximity to them. I had started to know a couple of them, um, and as I, as they started to get closer and closer to the day they wanted it to open, they had some struggles and ups and downs with trying to find an operator that they thought could actually fulfill the vision that they had for it. And um, I, like I said, I'd been here forever and kind of looked at it and always thought that you know it could be a cool space if somebody just did it the right way. So I kind of started to have that vision in my in my head of what it might look like, and I'd met Chad. Um, just a couple, maybe not even a year before that conversation, um, and learned a little bit about his background and having run a small venue where he was at and doing some talent buying where he was at. Um, and those were kind of a couple of the segments that were missing from my sort of background was I never really acquired talent for the purposes of putting it in a venue. And so he and I basically got together and formulated what our version of the vision was um, and went back to Pivot and said, we think you should let us do it. Here's what we think it can be and what it could look like. Candidly, you know, we don't really have the resources to pull this off, so we're going to have to come up with some clever way because there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, and that's kind of the point where a few conversations in, we all just sort of came to this agreement that we would join forces with them and start a, a business with them as partners with us and and try to fulfill the vision that kind of everybody... Cause Really, the version of it we gave to them, they pretty much looked at and said, it's like you guys just took this out of our head and put it on paper. And so, yeah, yeah let's figure out how to make this so work. So a really cool fit then. I mean, timing as well. Yeah, it for was everything. very much right place, right time. Yeah, yeah. Very much timing, very much just a, a, a an alignment of values as well. I think, you know, developers, this is Chad, by the way, developers don't get a great rap because, you know, you just think of demoli demolition and you think of strip malls. Pivot Project, on the other hand, it really has a commitment to buying and, and maintaining and renovating structures that are important historically and civically. And we had seen the work that they had done in the property and the building because we were both part of the community. This is our neighborhood. 
and seeing it languish as a building in disrepair for almost 20 years was painful for everyone. But when you started to see the renovations happen and you saw the marquee get restored and then it kind of stalled out and languished for almost another year and a half, I think that was really what Stephen and I both found untenable. That we can't get this close to bringing this thing back to life and then just have it sit there. And, and for a year and a half, the, the marquee would turn on every night and it would have clever things on the screen or on the on the sign, but, but no concerts, no movies. Uh, and that's really what, what spurred us into action of saying, all right, what's going on here? What can we do? Uh, can we pair together our, our resources and our experience, our intellectual resources, because we don't got any money. We still don't. <laughs> uh, but, but can we do something and, and pivot really locked in on, on that hometown value, but then also just the work ethic and, and the commitment to integrity and hospitality that Stephen and I had uh, from the business plan, and it still informs every decision we make. Uh, that's what I think Pivot found most attractive and ultimately why they took a chance on us. Yeah, you weren't just two guys rocking up saying, oh, I think we can do this. Like you had yeah. proven, you know, like there, there's a history. lot of promoters that, that, you know, in the industry that call them fly by night and, you know, they'll come in and do two or three shows and then eventually it'll fizzle out or, or their lack of integrity will be shown. And uh, we weren't those guys at all. And, and really, hopefully within the industry, we're proving that with every show that we do and, you know, making sure that we honor the contracts and that we send the deposits on time and we take good care of artists like we want to be known for that and i think most people would agree that oklahoma city has a great uh, a great reputation as a hospitable place and we just we get a chance to show that off every day to people from all over the world yeah it's pretty awesome i mean you know the amount of shows you guys do here and you know the reach that you guys have and the sign is pretty sick isn't it to still have that sign uh, it's you know from when you see pictures of back in you know back in the day when it was open that sign looks amazing and I know it's probably been refurbished and all that stuff but it's yeah. it's an it's an iconic sign I think yeah. everybody has seen it you yeah. know drive down 23rd Street um, it used to be in Jay Leno's kind of opening clip on the Tonight Show I mean they yeah. kind of the whole Serious? thing ran down yeah. Route 66 because really? this was an original stretch of Route 66 right oh, here so no it was way. one of those key fixtures. Yeah. And even though the tower was dark for however long it's been dark in its history, that sign never left. It, yeah. it, it literally went dark, but it was always there. You always drove past it. It almost fell off for a good you know, it five years. did get hit years. by a truck <laughs> once, too. But. Right, so you guys had you know, a lot of experience in the industry anyway. So take me back to you know, why and how you got started in music. I approached music as a fan, and... A little bit of an opportunist, not so much on the financial end, more in the this isn't happening and I want it to happen and I'm just arrogant and dumb and, and white male enough to just say, oh, I'll try. And really my first shows, uh, I grew up in Salt Lake City, uh, my first shows were just opportunities. Hey, here's a room and here's some bands. Let's try it. And they were terrible total <laughs> failures i mean my first show uh we had he three told me that before we yeah. had right. three bands yeah. <laughs> we, we had three bands that were all signed to record labels and they were touring together and we booked them and we had four paid through the door that night so there were about 15 people in the bands and four people that paid it was worse than watching a band practice I and mean, it was so painful <laughs> But it's like you learn a lesson. You still pay the bands what you owe them, and you take that humble pie and you bring it with you to the next show, and you work even harder. And that's kind of how I cut my teeth. Uh, and that's how I approached music, and I had a lot of fun doing that. I met a lot of great people that stayed in the industry. I didn't stay in the industry. I had always done it on the side. Really enjoyed it as a as a fun hobby. And something I was passionate about, but but not dependent on financially. Um, when this all dropped into my lap, it was really more just a commitment to my neighborhood. I wanted to see Uptown 23rd continue its trajectory, continue to flourish, or, or in the direction of flourishing. Uh, I'd seen it languish just in the time that I'd lived here, and I was just excited. And so I was like, yeah, I'll take a risk on this. 
I'll take a risk on Steven and Pivot Project because I believe in, in what we're trying to do here. Uh, I'm still a fan of music, although I probably listen to less of it than people would assume as a talent buyer. Um, but, you know, I love it. It's a fun yeah. job. It's a lot of work. Uh, I don't know that I would choose it every single time if I just got to keep recreating my life. But I really am enjoying the process of digging in now because... For me, I get to be an evangelist for Oklahoma City, and I get to talk on the phone with agents and artists from all over America and tell them why Oklahoma City is going to be a great place for them to play, and they might enjoy it more than they think they will. And on almost every count, that is the that is the case. That that's what happens. Artists have a good time. They have a great experience. They appreciate the fans, the room, the neighborhood, and they want to come back. Yeah. They want to keep. They want to make Oklahoma City a regular part of their touring year, and to me, that's extremely, extremely meaningful. Right, not just a flyover state. Yeah, because that keeps coming back up. Then if we didn't have the Thunder, right. it'd be flyover state and all this kind of stuff, and and the, the stuff that you guys are doing and everyone else as well. That's that's bringing everybody outside of, you know, might. In, in the music industry but also in other industries as well to town which is awesome and you mentioned Uptown 23rd as well which is just you know the, the amount of businesses that are going in on 23rd they're all you know they're really cool businesses and brunch spots and all these cool restaurants and I mean it's it's a cool area to be to be in and you mentioned you know doing it for your neighborhood so what brought you to town from you know Salt Lake City uh, I needed to change gears in my life uh, and had some family that lived out here and so Looked at Kansas City, New Orleans, uh, looked at Austin, you know, kind of, quote, cooler cities. Yeah, and you sailed here. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, I saw the opportunity in yeah. Oklahoma City. I saw an, an untapped, and I say untapped, that's not to undermine all the cultural significant things that have already happened in this city, but I guess I just saw opportunity. I saw a low cost of living. I saw a chance to live in the in the metro of a city and and still hold on to values like walkability and environmentalism and and knowing your neighborhood and i just saw those things happening in oklahoma city that really to be able to do that in a market like austin or a market like kansas city you'd have to have three times the income to live near the bars and restaurants that that i can live near here in uptown 23rd and so i came here with you know glass half full kind of mm-hmm. optimism and, and it's informed almost every decision i've made since i moved here yeah and you said you grew up here right yep i grew up in Moore, just just south suburb of here um came to oklahoma city obviously a lot because especially back then there yeah was nothing and more and there wasn't a ton of stuff in oklahoma city at that point either but <clears throat> Still, you'd come up here, and I remember going by, like driving by Tower periodically when our routes would take us there. But I got into music in junior high, just junior high band, like, and then into high school, went into the whole marching band thing. Moore is a big marching band town. Um, that was kind of the big things in some of the cities around here is marching bands. Um, but I didn't, I wasn't the best musician, and I didn't really have the practice ethic that you should yeah. have to to really succeed. Um, and along the way. I actually told this story to somebody the other day, and they kind of were blown away by how significant it was because in my high school band, there was a guy that was a friend of mine. He was a year older than me, but he was a clarinet player like me. His name was Daniel Walker. And in the off season, we would do the basketball bands, which was like a jazz band, but he would bring out his keyboard and PA system. And the first time I did that, did the basketball band, and I saw him, I was like, what is this that you are messing with? Like, this thing has knobs, and there's buttons and lights, and... I was a computer nerd, and that was more my speed than a woodwind. Um, so I got into that there, um, and that's kind of started me down this trajectory of dealing with more of the technology of music. Um, and back in the 90s, that was about as technological as it got, but very quickly computer recording started coming about and all of these things, and I was a computer person, so I kind of veered off that direction and really lined up with the technology of it. Um, couldn't find a place to go to college for that. Um, and so I just ended up kind of making my own way, worked for Guitar Center for a number of years, and they had a really great internal training program at that time. So I kind of stayed on that side of, like, I was never the best musician, never the most creative. Like, I tried over the years to, like, sit down and write a song and 
like stare at a wall for four hours. It's <laughs> pretty much how the outcome of that. Um, but when it came to like somebody struggling to like, I have this sound in my head, I want to get it out, or I have this thing I want to see come to life, and it requires this, you know, generally speaking, especially early on, the the type of artistic talent you need to play and write music wasn't the same kind of talent you needed to understand a computer or a piece of technology. So it was kind of bridging that left-right brain thing a little bit for people. Um, and come full circle that my friend Daniel that kind of spurred me into that has now like played keys on more albums than I can write. He's touring with Ann Wilson of Heart. He's played on Casey Clifford's album. He played with John Fulbright. Like He's become like this really awesome musician and I, I get to look back 10 years when we were in high school together and say like this is the guy that like kind of didn't intentionally but shoved me off the sort of play the instrument into go help people make music kind of a thing um, and then through there so I worked at a guitar center and I said there wasn't a college for me um, I tried to go to a couple of universities to find this and it just didn't exist nobody was doing computer recording or any of that kind of stuff <clears throat> so when I was working for a guitar center and I heard the rumor that UCO was bringing this school from England over that was a contemporary music school and specifically had these big segments of technology as a part of it. Like they were teaching people how to record and doing all this stuff. I mean, I got excited about the idea of going back to school even yeah. years after it was time to leave college behind. Um, and then just through Grapevine, a friend of mine was like, you know, they're hiring for somebody to kind of be their technology person. And I was like, okay. So I just kind of talked shot in the dark and put in an application and went and did an interview and it just happens that through my sort of pathway in life I had acquired those various set of skills that not very many people had in this area because there just wasn't an in there wasn't infrastructure to learn that and support it. So I loved the idea of going and working for a university effectively building the school I didn't have. Yeah. Because um, one thing I think that Oklahoma has suffered from for a long time and keeps it in that flyover state mentality is we've had amazing talent here and it's always left because there wasn't resources and infrastructure for that talent. Whether you're talking about music, you're talking about film, you're talking about visual arts, any of that stuff, like it all goes away. I lost bands like that I was in and was a part of because they wanted to go off to Berkeley or they wanted to go, I had friends that ended up in the UK studying, I, you know. Um, and so to build something that would keep that talent here was really important to me. And that's that very much influences my opinion about Tower too. Like we as a city needed a room like this because we needed to keep the talent we had here and give them that sort of pathway out. But we also needed to attract that attention. Like you said earlier back, like reach out beyond Oklahoma to say, this isn't a flyover state. Like there is great stuff here. You're just not seeing it. Cause we're not, we didn't have anything that was putting us on those radars. Mm -hmm. um, so like that's been a big part of the thing I'm probably the most proud of in my life is helping like, I was the one person I felt like growing up that was like, no, don't leave, stay here, it's cool, I promise. Like, just yeah. give us another few more years, it'll be cool, I promise. And now I feel like we're finally at that tipping point where I think some of that talent's coming back and some of that attention's coming back, and I get to sit here and say, ha, told, told you. you so. <laughs> like, yeah, guess what? I still own that house that you sold for, remember that house you sold for $50,000 yeah. five years ago? Yeah, you got to buy it back for 300000 now or whatever. Like, that's a little bit extreme, but... Yeah. I think that that's the important part that Oklahoma City specifically and Oklahoma in general has been missing is that we've, I think our biggest export in the last 50 years has been talent. And and now we're starting to realize that if we build a few of these things that will let that talent live and grow here, then we'll keep it. And then in another five years, another 10 years, we will be, I don't want to say we will be Austin or we LA or any of that kind of stuff. I think we'll be our own thing, but it'll be like that where we have our own little Mecca of talent and creativity. And Well, it's what Oklahoma city is good at when, when we stop comparing ourselves to other markets and we just lean into our own culture and our own identity, there's the uniqueness and a creativity there and, and a, a care and concern for the common, common man that makes this place special and and now we just have a, a playground where we get to express all that in in the music industry yeah that's i mean super cool like you guys have come kind of full circle or used you know stayed but also somehow you know through life just ended up with this opportunity and taking it and then obviously how did you guys meet we just met through the neighborhood yeah, um, yeah. You my, live in the same my wife and i used to run a blog 
that just tried to highlight all the new things happening in the city and kind of our commitment was to you know be positive and if you didn't have anything nice to say just don't say it and we kind of built a brand on that uh, meanwhile um, Stephen had a, a blog that was or a podcast excuse me that was very much the same thing it was positive talking about the exciting cultural developments in the city and we just kind of kept we were just in each other's radars for a while and, and we talked about it lately that there were several kind of like bar openings and restaurant openings that we were all at but we hadn't known we hadn't met each other yet and uh and finally Stephen invited us onto their podcast and uh it was called um we apologize for the inconvenience it's a great podcast it's still out there uh and then we had so much fun doing that that we were like hey we want to write a story about you guys for our blog and and really that just sort of I mean, we'd probably all sat at the pump bar at the same time dozens of times without oh, yeah. knowing each other. But it's like when we all finally met, it was like, oh, yeah, I recognize you guys. Just yeah. That's how the, 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 the neighborhood and around Uptown 23rd, like it's a pretty tight knit. Like you see a lot of the same people. And, you know, on the weekends, it definitely changes. And there's a lot of people here mm-hmm. that come in just to, to enjoy the, the restaurants and the bars. But uh, we were definitely all locals in the, in the same pool. Yeah. I think the pump is like it's it's like a traditional local pub, right? Like I would have back home, right? Because you just everyone's exactly. within, it's within walking distance of some you know of plenty of neighborhoods. It's here. the gathering place for the community. Mm-hmm. It's the place where you can go and just you don't have to have a plan, but you'll run into people you know. Yeah, you know the beers are always cold, the whiskey's strong, and they and always it's not expensive. Great, like yeah, so it's, it's affordable. They have great food. Yeah, uh, great hospitality. It, it's everything you want in a neighborhood pub mm-hmm. slash bar yeah so when you guys you know you met and then this opportunity came up and you just dove straight in how was that like first year what was that like because it must have been crazy it was awful <laughs> it was, was it better than what you were at it was the most ex- it was the most exhilarating time in my life mm-hmm. but it was also the hardest and the most challenging i mean yeah. we, we we pitched this kind of late February, early March of 2017, which that in and of itself took a tremendous amount of work to kind of put together a, you know, 30-page pitch deck uh, and run as many kind of scenarios as we could and, and come up with all the different ways we could pull this off, not expecting that anyone would even let us pitch it. But right. then we got the chance to pitch it, and we didn't expect that anyone would say yes. And then they said yes, and almost immediately we had to turn around and go, oh, well, how are we going to pay for all this and, and get it going? <laughs> There's tremendous pressure from the community because the building had been renovated yeah. and was real estate ready, but it hadn't been finished internally. And there hadn't been any shows for a year and a half. Yeah. And so the owners were like, how quickly can you get going? Because, you know, rent rent's due every, you know, first of the month regardless. But the room wasn't even ready. Yeah. So it was a pretty tumultuous summer uh, trying to raise money through corporate sponsorships and, and other opportunities, which, as a note, Citizens Bank of Edmond is on every poster and it's on our marquee. And some people might, you know, squint at something like that or, or, or think poorly of that. But there is 0% chance that Tower would have ever been in business yeah. without without Citizens really believing in Stephen and yeah. I and without yeah. Jill Castilla really saying this is important and we want to get behind yeah. it. Uh, Coop Aleworks is another that without their belief in what we were trying to do, we would not have ever even got open um, because that that summer we had to terrace the floor so that we could put chairs down and do seated events. Uh, and we had to do sound and lights. And Stephen, you can talk more on that. But yeah. from from my view, Stephen is, is the best in the city at really figuring out what a room needs versus just what you can afford or what you want. And and to do all that, basically our, our our metaphor, it was like being at sea on a boat that we were still trying to build. Yeah. Yeah. And sound, Meanwhile, sound it was also kind cheap. of like a race. And <laughs> yeah, like, it was, yeah, it was a boat race. And yeah. there was like a hurricane coming. Yeah. Like, so. But yeah, I mean, it, it's not cheap. And that was, I mean, right out of the gate, I remember, I, I feel like I very clearly remember a moment where... I got like one of the first sort of budgets back for sound and lights and I put it in front of the partnership and they were just like, are you joking? <laughs> and I was like, no. And I was like, and I'm adamant that if we don't do this, we yeah. will fail. Yeah. The room, and, the room was so echoey that really a band 
couldn't perform there unless there were pretty significant treatments done acoustically. Yeah. And so it's so many pieces that you would never even see because they're all behind the curtains and yeah. they're all hidden. But they had to happen. They were yeah. crucial. Another fun, fun sort of bring this one around to you is the guy I tapped uh, to work with and design and to integrate the room is actually the same guy that gave me the lead on the ACM job, who was my original boss at Guitar Center. Oh, like, that's yeah. amazing. So a big part of too when I when I walked into this room, like, and when I told Chad and I told the other guys, like, no, don't worry about it. We can figure it out. We'll, we'll be able to make it work. It was me thinking to myself, like, I know I we can't do everything ourselves, but I know I've met the people in my life that I can call that will come in here and make it work from, from backline rentals to designing a system to whatever. And these are people that we had, I had a relationship with that I could stand in a room and be like, dude, level with me. How can we cut a hundred thousand dollars off of this? Yeah. But not sacrifice what you know I want out of it. Um, and that was a big, big, I think that's a big deal because we still spent, Probably, I mean, we probably spent more on acoustic treatment than a lot of places would have spent on like a sound system. Yeah. Um, but you could put a million dollar sound system in this room with zero acoustic treatment, and it would sound like a fifty thousand dollar sound system. Or right. you could put a hundred thousand dollar sound system here with a hundred thousand dollars of acoustic treatment, and now it sounds like a five hundred thousand dollar sound system. So it's those sort of things, like knowing where those lines can be drawn and not sacrificing one thing for the other because at the end of the day we were about experience and that experience is not only are we friendly and kind and you walk in the door and you don't feel like you're entering like a high security prison or something like that but when you sit there and watch that artist that you are so glad finally came to your city after decades of wishing there was a room like this that it was the experience you wanted and you weren't like well you know when I saw him in New Orleans last year, it was way better, sounded better, or yeah. whatever. Like I wanted you to walk out of there going, "Oh my gosh, that was the best way I've ever seen that show." And I think that we've achieved that, and I think we we get that. Like, we have evidence of that, not only in what customers, and guests say in their Google reviews and stuff like that, but we have artists that walk out of this room going, "That was the best experience I've ever had." I mean, we had this tweet from Ray Wiley Hubbard a couple weeks ago that still. <laughs> We're all floored because he basically called out the entire industry and said, if you can't match what they're doing, you need to step up. And it's like, here's a guy who's been doing this longer than we've been alive, and he just said we did it better than anybody yeah. he's ever met. Like, And that's a huge, huge deal for us. And that's what we were shooting for. And all of the decisions along the way kind of were all with that in mind. Like, is this going to make the experience better? And that's, at the end of the day, it's what... <clears throat> instilled my confidence in the partnership early on is when I said that, I was like, no, we have to spend these six figures on this room or multiples of six figures. And when I said like, no, it, that's what we have to do, that the response was, okay, well then we have to figure out how to make that work. And it was like, I, I, okay, I can't believe you just said that because yeah. I've sold systems to people for years and that was <laughs> never the, the response <laughs> that I got. <laughs> yeah. It was never the response that I got. So when you guys From, took over, did you like still work full-time full or did you just dive straight in? No, we like, were both uh, fun-employed uh, working here for no pay uh, <laughs> for most of that whole summer. Uh, let me just jump right back, though. From the building side, that was crazy. From the talent-buying side convincing agents to send artists to a room in a town that they've never considered as a market to a to a building that was not done yet was a real hard sell and uh that is still a work in progress it it takes time to build those avenues and 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 build that trust uh but that early year it was like uh, we took every, we took anything we could get because jumping in in April to try to book stuff as early as August, there's nothing out there other than kind of the casino junket that's still, that's not booked already. And so, you know, now I'm booking, you know, nine to 12 months ahead. And that's the kind of the normal rhythm for a lot of bigger tours. All of those things were completely not an option for, for Tower Theater in 2017 and the first part of 2018. So it's a a long time to kind of warm the room up on the on the talent buying side and then in the in the community for as much interest as there was in tower theater selling tickets was really hard 
uh, people in the town are, I think, are still warming up to the idea of considering live music as an entertainment option, mm-hmm. other than traveling somewhere to see something. But really, just thinking about it like they would a Thunder game or a Dodgers game or an Energy game or, or even just going to the mall, um, it's been a challenge to be top of mind when people are thinking about entertainment. I think we've turned a corner. People are no longer saying to us, oh, I didn't know the tower was open. Uh, now it's gone from that to, oh, I still got to get to a show. Uh, and then the, oh, yeah, I can't wait for that one. And, you know, it's like that process of getting people really connected with the, with the space and, and w- with what we hope is a world-class concert experience. We, we know it's uh, a high ticket to, to go to live music nowadays and, and our job is really how do we make that as world class as possible because you know Oklahoma City still has limited uh, discretionary income yeah and I back to what you said like you don't think I, I mean Oklahoma City is not known as like the music place right like we, are, just, we are not we're, no. we're where a lot of people have come from yeah uh, you know those big name country acts who uh, have made monster careers for themselves uh, but we're not known as a live music town uh, at all. Yeah. How do you guys go about, like, creating that and then also competing with, like, Tulsa? Because I've been to Tulsa a bunch of times to see concerts, kind of canes and all that kind of stuff. And it just, I don't know, you just seem, for me, it's like, oh, I don't, it doesn't ma- matter if I drive an hour and a half because it's going to be amazing, right? How do you guys compete with that? I think that's the, the kind of 10-year, 5-year goal for Tower is mm-hmm. to change people's minds and to change their buying habits. Hopefully, anyone that's come to a show at Tower walks out of there recognizing that we are putting on a good show and that we've got our logistics figured out and our sound and lights figured out. Uh, I think that crowd culture is still a piece that, you know, if you spend much time on Twitter, is, is an ongoing conversation of how do we how do we uh, evolve the music appreciating culture in Oklahoma City, not just, no, nah, I'd say the live music culture of... How do we appreciate a show without ruining it for others with our yelling and talking and recording it on our phones and all that other stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my work as a talent buyer is to try to convince agents that they should put their tour in Tulsa and Oklahoma City and that yeah. we're not just a one-market state, but we're a two-market state. Uh, Tulsa is not sharing that message uh, so I, I'm I'm the only person that's hammering away at that mm-hmm. uh, I, I would say the talent buyer criterion is, is doing the same thing there so maybe that starts to change in the next five to ten years where you know you'll see a show that's in Tulsa and a show that's in Oklahoma City and a show that's in Dallas and then you really have the the idea of well do I want to see it which market do I want to see it in or do I want to catch it maybe more than one time because it's one of my favorite artists and that's going to take some time to evolve though you guys have come a long way in two years, though. I guess it's really cool to, you know, just yeah. two years. <laughs> We've come further than I expected we would. And, I, I mean, I I mean that both in what Chad's talking about with the sort of industry aspect and, and kind of earning our stripes on that side, which is all him, and he's done a great job on fighting that fight and having those conversations to make that a thing. But even as a business, like, that's the thing that, you know... It's funny because about a year or two before um, this, I kind of told myself whatever I did next, I was going to move away from like live music. Yeah. <laughs> and it kind of obviously went 180 degrees on that. But the right opportunity comes around, then you just do what you got to do. But it's become a thing where like I've learned more in the last few years about what it is to have an organization like this and be kind of at the top of it or near the top of it. And that's been the biggest challenge and it's also been the biggest surprise as to how quickly that's grown but i kind of had this revelation a few months ago maybe it was a year ago i don't even know at this point where i realized that just like i left high school and couldn't find a school to go to i knew all these people that wanted to be in the music industry but there were there was zero employment for them around here like there was nothing you couldn't it wasn't like la where you could go work a record label or go work at a venue or go work or whatever like And so there's other venues and stuff like that, but Tower was first and foremost a venue and wasn't anything else. We we know that, like, we have a bar and that's a big part of our revenue and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, the point is the music and the film and and those things. So it's surprising to me that in two years we've become such a large 
entity in the music industry in Oklahoma City because we really are one of the more active and significant ones. Even a bigger room like the Criterion or a bigger room like the Chesapeake, like those things are operating at whole different levels that like this is, I mean, we're here 325 date events a year, Mm -hmm. whether that's concerts or movies or private events or whatever, um, versus some of those rooms that are doing, you know, oh, we did one big concert this month and maybe next month they'll do another big concert or whatever. So that's been the kind of the the craziness to me is how quickly and then also too now how like everybody around is starting to come and see us as as that and we're starting to work with outside partners. We're booking the Herd on Herd lineup for citizens. I mean, it was a natural progression with our relationship with them, but it was like they they've been doing it for five years and they were working with ACM a little bit they were working on themselves a little bit they kind of were like we're almost tired of worrying about it and you guys are so good at identifying talent and booking and all that logistical stuff we'll let you do it and I mean we pulled that off in like less than a month of actual time of like hey should we do this yes let's do it okay we're doing it let's let's go and now we have a lineup and the first one, um, and I'm not going to take all the credit for this because I don't have a chance, or, or Tower take all the credit, but it's one of the largest herd on herds they've ever had. And Jill, the president of, of Citizens, walked up to us and was like, it, within the first two songs of the first set, she was like, I can already tell you that this is next level for us. Like, you guys have already crushed this. And so, like, that's another part of, like, we're just working so much on refining our own processes and tastes and relationships. It's now so easy for us. It's still very hard, but it's so easy in context for us to have access to really great stuff or to do something that might be daunting to somebody else. We get it all the time with private events. They come in here and they're worried about all of this minutia. And we're just, we literally sit back and kind of laugh at them and go, don't worry about it. Like we do this 300 times a year. I remember remember 2017, we had three shows in three days and and then a studio show. So we kind of had four things in four days. And And we just worried about it for weeks on end. At least I did. I'm I'm a warrior. Now it's laughable. Like, I almost feel like we could run this room almost, well, we already do. We run it almost every day uh, in in a month. Um, And it's become second nature. Was it important to you guys to kind of diversify like the events and stuff that you had here from day one? Absolutely. Just, just to be more like community orientated and get in all sorts of ages yeah, and people I mean, and anything? Yeah, I mean, I think this, we've talked about like hospitality experience and kind of like the next thing in that list for us was being a part of the community. Like Chad said, like he lives like three blocks from here. At the time that I took on, I lived three blocks the other way. And now I only live like a mile the other way. Um, so being a part of the city, like even our, our business plan pitch that we've talked about, like inside of it, there's a list of city events we were aware of that we were like, these are the things that need to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, be either because they just fit the room really well, like uptown uncorked, like uptown was leaving uptown to go hold its major <laughs> fundraiser every year because there wasn't anywhere for them to do it. Yeah. And so like naturally that feels like something we should have, but having grown that into other events, like, Stuff that I was producing externally, like the 612 Mardi Gras ball, we were popping up in a tent in an empty field in the Paseo. And it's like, that's like a highbrow fundraising VIP event. Like, that doesn't need to be in a muddy, cold grass field. Like, let's move it in a room. Um, so, some of that stuff was pretty, like, almost no brainer for us. It was like, yes, we need that to be here. And we've sought out other things, and we've had a lot of things come to us. Sometimes it doesn't fit because our calendar is so packed. So, especially lately, we've had some events that we would love to host that we just can't find the room on the calendar for, but you know, concert venue first movie theater and event space kind of second. Um, and then, you know, but at the same time we'll go out of our way to like cram something in like last year with the teacher walkout in like the span of 48 hours, Chad and I had a conversation like, we have to do something. What can we do? I don't know. Can we, mm-hmm. well, what, what do we do? Well, we throw events and concerts really well. We can do that. And in uh, like under 48 hours, we had organized this thing and turned it into a deal and had a bunch of people show up. A bunch of musicians came in, politicians came in, civic leaders. And we even stood back and like, we couldn't believe we pulled this off in 48 hours. Like yeah. had branded slides and title cards in between. I mean, it was like we, but it just, it's all part of that you build that team and you build those processes to make it easier for you. 
and at the end of the day, it ends up increasing your capacity in a way that you didn't inspect, and then all of a sudden, now you're like, oh yeah, we've got three extra hours in this day. We can cram something in there. Let's see if we can tuck it in. Um, so yeah, it is diversity is a big part of it with the events, with the concerts, with how he's booked the music. Like, there's never been a conversation of like, is there something that's completely off the table? Like, we've never said we're not a country music venue, or we're not a hip hop venue, or we're not an EDM. Some of those things don't work as well as others, but it doesn't mean we don't stop trying and experimenting with them to try to figure out, well, what does it take to make an EDM show work in Tower? What does it take to make a, a hip-hop show work in Tower? You know, Red Dirt seems to be fairly easy, but you can trace that, that back took, to... That took a bit, though. It took a it, bit. It took a bit, but it also kind of had a kickstart from... We did have the Wormy Dog for, okay. like, a decade that was the Red Dirt venue that built an audience and built a crowd, and so to the point like that segment of the industry was used to Oklahoma City right. in a way and there was people that were used to that in a way all we had to do was train them that hey that thing you're used to over there moved over here and by the way the room doesn't smell as bad or you know you like, don't stick to the floor yeah. Yeah. as much I guess yeah. or whatever it is Yeah, I think diversity well I don't think it is a core bedrock value of Tower Theater and, and something that Stephen and I personally are very committed to I think the challenge comes in how do you reflect that in the way that the public sees uh, with the realities that you have of needing to be successful as a, as a venue. Uh, and then, you know, the one I come up against most regularly is that of touring artists, only one out of 20 are female-fronted bands or, or, or persons. And, and it's a real challenge. That how, do you, how do you go and find that diversity and and make sure that it's reflected uh in an in a marketplace that you can't just go and pick what you want you know you have to rely on the artist being in town and coming through town and even on the road so many artists people give us suggestions all the time it's like that's great uh they're not touring they don't tour anymore (laughs) they're done or once you see the tour announced they're not adding dates to it. I mean, maybe like 1% of the time they'll add a date, but it's like, it, that's not how it works, you know? Those those tours were routed six months before you knew that they were going to be announced and anything like that. So it's an ongoing challenge, but it, it's it's very meaningful when you can book somebody that really reflects that diversity well in a, in a way that people appreciate and notice. Uh, that, that's extremely rewarding. Yeah, I mean, if you could see the internal, I mean, to his point about, like, 1 in 20 of female-leaded leaded acts, like, if you see our internal calendar, we're probably only landing 1 out of 20 of the offers that he's sending out, yeah. too. So compound that, and now, like, I don't know, 1 400th of the offers that we sent out are going to result in a female-led act, just because that's yeah. the nature of the, of, the, of the beast, as it were. Yeah. And as much as we can try, like... It's like going to the grocery store and them not having apples because they're not in season. You can't yell at them because they don't have apples. Well, they're not growing right yeah. now. So you go, I guess take it's that one up with super hard to just get people in. You just got to keep knocking on that door to have someone. And then I'm sure, like you said, it goes from having a tweet that says this place is the best place ever. Just right. kind of keeps the ball rolling, ball rolling. And then a lot of word of mouth, I guess, is how it works between the artists. Indus- industry word of mouth is really key. And... and getting the right people to to know about what you're trying to do uh, is very important. Uh, That's why a big part of my job that has evolved now that we're a little more stable as an operation, I spend a a significant amount of time in other markets trying to connect with people and and spread the the good word about Tower Theater in Oklahoma City. Um, You know, my season sort of starts with South by Southwest in Austin in March and then ends with uh, Americana Fest in Nashville in September and in between it's sort of a game to see okay where can I go that's um, very budget friendly uh, and and try to connect with the most amount of agents and managers and and try to connect with people the contracts you can sign contracts all day but to get to that point in this industry it's all about relationships and so trying to be as visible as possible within that, that marketplace has been a new piece of of what my job is. Mm. What's that process like when you have you know when you reach out to? I mean, you got first of all you got to find out who you got to reach out to. Yeah, you um, 
you have to rely, and I certainly did, you, you have to call in all the favors you have in the industry to get a few key people to vouch for you, and, and I definitely did that, and I'm eternally grateful to the friends that I had that really went out of their way to uh, to fire off some introduction emails. Um, but then it, it's really just about time and consistency and being professional and you know just pounding the pavement. And if we're... If we're doing the right work the right way, eventually it will get noticed. I'm a big believer in not making a scene and a splash, but really like quietly going about doing the right work. And if you're doing the right work, it will get noticed. Uh, I didn't want to sound or act like a lot of the um, fly-by-night promoters that this town has been plagued by that can come in quick and splash some cash and do a couple shows and burn out uh, I really have tried to work hard to show consistency and, and dependability uh, the industry just they don't, no, nobody has time to deal with you or your room if it's not consistent and dependable if, if they can't if there's a, if there's a little kernel of, of worry they're just going to skip it and move on unless they're like really desperate. Uh, people just don't have time in the business to, to sit there and worry about if you're going to do a good job or not. They just have to know. And the work is to, you know, get a chance to prove that. And, and it's like getting up to plate, you know, you, you get a swing at the baseball and you, you hopefully you're going to connect with it and, and the coach is going to notice. And um, so that's kind of what a lot of it that got us started. But as far as like finding artists and stuff like that, it, it's, it's kind of like fishing. Uh, you're out there in your boat, and you've got a couple lines in the water. But every once in a while, the agent will call you and say, "Hey, you know, I've got this artist coming through. What about these dates? You know, send me an offer." Um, so it's a, it's a lot of that back and forth. And then a lot of it is, like Stephen said, it's stuff that'll never work out. You know, one out of twenty might happen, and you have to sort of hold on loosely to the other nineteen because if you if you don't, they'll break your heart. You know, and I learned that the hard way too in 2017. It's like, you know what? You can get holds on your calendar all day long. That doesn't mean they're going to go that far. You know, they're not going to happen just because they asked you about an idea. Um, and and that's that's my my daily grind as yeah. the talent buyer is just pounding that pavement every morning, checking in with agents, trying to like be consistent without being obnoxious. Like, you know, there's one band I've been trying to book. Uh, well, pretty much anything that's announced this year that's, like, kind of big, I've been working on that for, like, since 2017. And it's like, you put the offer in, you might get the holds, uh, and nothing happens, uh, or it doesn't work out. And then you try again, and nothing happens. And then, you know, a few of them, it's like the third time's the charm. 2019 just is sort of, like, working out to be our year where we're really turning the corner on the, the marquee names that we always really wanted to book. Um, there's a few that I can't announce publicly yet that Stephen knows about them. <laughs> don't we'll, say anything. <laughs> we'll be personally very gratified uh, when they get announced, and, and I think that the city will notice. Um, and that's the thing that's kind of fun to me, is, but it's also like one of the biggest sort of pains in my side, is everything you're seeing that's happening right now is at least six, if not 18 months in progress, or has been. So, like the stuff that's being worked on right now, you're not going to see for another six to 18 months. So it's like when you get any kind of feedback right now, it's like, well, how come you aren't starting booking this? Or how come I'm doing that? It's like, you just want to be like, Oh, if I could tell you, yeah, what's if I coming, could tell. like <laughs> you'd shut up, but yeah. I can't, I can't even hint that like, I've, I've literally, I don't remember what this was, but it was not that long ago. Somebody was like, man, it'd really be awesome if you guys would book this. And I'm just sitting here going, we announced it on Monday. And yeah. I was just like, <laughs> but I didn't say it. Cause right. it was like, yeah. but, I mean, and I love that. Like today, uh, we had an announcement for, I'm going to probably say the name wrong, but we had Glenn Hansard. Like I got texts from people on that one. Like I love that part of this now, especially because we're getting past the, you know, it was funny. One of the first texts I ever got from somebody was like, if you guys can book Mandolin Orange, I will personally go make sure it sells out. Like somebody I knew was like telling me that. And we booked it like six months later or something and I fired right back. And like, yeah. so it's almost turning that tide of like people, we're getting ahead of, of the people now where they're like, oh, it'd be awesome if you could book this. It'd be awesome. If you're like, no, Oh my gosh, you booked that. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think that kind of tells a story. And again, we're delayed <laughs> a half a year or more. So 
it'll be interesting for me to see like how that continues to evolve and how the stuff that's going on right now behind the scenes is, is going to impact the future. And at the same time, while he's improving on the artists and the bookings, we're improving on the processes and we're improving on all these things. But even those things are delayed. Like we can reevaluate an entire way that we're doing something right now, but we can't actually put it in action for like three months. Yeah, it won't show up in the contracts or the offers for six right. more months. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, that we're gonna so even if we're gonna to even if we're gonna spread the chairs out and make it a little more roomy and we got a kill tent. Well, we have forty five shows already booked with that seating chart. Yeah. So April twenty twenty, we can talk about putting that into effect. Yeah. And so it's kind of a, a that double edged sword is like you sometimes want to be super nimble and dynamic and update, but at the same time this is the way it is and that's how we have to run with it until we figure it out or right. can find that opportunity to change it that must be so hard for you to do like for you to go and find artists that you know plan 12 to 18 months that they're going to be here but in 12 to 18 months they could have done something and they I mean it's, <laughs> we've been there yeah, I'm Some, sure you've been sometimes there, right? it works in your favor like you know if you've got right. somebody that's up and coming you can book them real cheap yeah. and then you look like a real hero and other times you book them and then, you know, you find out a year later that their new album was absolutely terrible yeah. or, you know, they had a big nasty court proceeding or there's yeah. some, you know, yeah. civic civic issue that uh, sprung up and, and that can I mean, bite you. We've canceled some things because of allegations against yeah. people. I mean, it's, you know, it's just... Every the, day's different then. Every day is it, different. It's gotten a lot better. When we started in 2017 and 2018, I was in my talent-buying talent job working as far ahead as I could, six to nine months, but still really involved in the day-to-day -day here. And the mental exercise of time travel 10, 12, 15 times a day, forward and backward and forward and backward, was really a challenge. And, and then you throw in the marketing piece to that and, and trying to think about all that. As it has grown and evolved and, and my role has clarified, I'm really thankful now that I, I pretty much just kind of live six to nine months and then every yeah. once in a while I'll dip in and talk about marketing or talk about production. But we've sort of solidified those roles where, you know, Stephen is much more in the what's happening this week. I sometimes have to check our calendar to remember what's happening this week uh, because I'm I'm almost done booking September right now and trying to think about what is October through Christmas going to look like at Tower Theater. Uh, I've got some things already starting to confirm for January. And so that's been probably the biggest unlock for, for my side of, of the job is just not having to jump back and forth in time and just yeah. staying in the future. Yeah. That's so cool. All right. This has been awesome. I'm going to finish with one more question. Uh, what's the best thing that's ever happened since you've been here? And they, I mean, best thing that's ever happened. It could be an experience, could be somebody signing, I, my favorite thing that happens, so maybe not my best, my favorite thing is just announcing a show because no one will get mad if they don't like the artist. No one will care if they don't like it. If, they don't, if you don't know who they are, you just don't care. But somebody's day is going to be made because you announce somebody that's their favorite. And, and I, I don't take that lightly. I, I really enjoy that because you sparked excitement in somebody's otherwise maybe drab and dreary day. And with the power that music has to affect our, our outlook on life and our emotional well-being, you never know what that concert could mean to somebody. And even just as a music fan, you take all that stuff out, you're giving people an opportunity to, to be somewhere that they really want to be with other people who agree with them. And other than like sports and church, I don't really know of many places where you get to do that. Uh, so that's like over and over my favorite um, the best thing that's probably happened, I mean, we booked Steve Earle early in 2017 and I physically like bumped into him in the hallway and he like talked to me for like 15 minutes, which I just was like weak in the knees the whole time. Cause he's the godfather of Americana and he's like, I mean, just from the wire and Treme and he's acting and then he writes books and he's an activist. He's just like such a hero of mine. And we stood there and chatted for the longest time. He thought my name was Jack, though, instead of Chad, because I, I guess <laughs> I just didn't pronounce it very well and or you know, whatever. And so for the whole rest of the day, I just had to go about as if I was Jack, because I didn't want to <laughs> have the awkward conversation of, well, actually, my name is Chad. Um, so I don't know if that's the best thing, but it's still it, it's the story that I reflect on most, because yeah. I think it's hilarious. 
uh, I'll mirror his both of his sentiments actually. The the best I mean just the thing I love the most is and I remembered this recently the very first show performance we actually ever had here was the first thing we ever did was we did the craft beer summit it was the first event that happened it was the day one we opened the doors but that night we had booked my so-called band to play just a local 90s cover band not a grand show by any means but i walked kind of onto the side stage and i sort of pushed myself out a little further onto stage than I would do nowadays because I wanted to just see the room was packed with people and I wanted to just see it. And I took a couple of photos from that that still pop up in my phone a lot. And I remember like that sort of moment of like, we got to this point and there's actually a band on this stage and like, there's actually people in the audience that are enjoying it. And a friend of mine tweeted because I guess he saw me and he was like, being in the audience and seeing Steven on stage and the look on his face is like worth more than any amount of gold or whatever. And I get those moments a lot where I can just, because the day to day is so crazy. Like Chad made a comment that he forgets what's on the calendar sometimes. And I do too. Like I know right now what's happening tonight, but like a lot of times I have to stop and go, wait, what's going on tonight? What's going on tomorrow? Like, but when I could walk in the room and just stop and experience for one second, like the sort of magic that's happening is, is a very powerful thing. And like that sort of always resets me back to whatever chaos has been going on and whatever stress and struggles and whatever thing I'm worrying about operationally or financially or whatever, like can just go out of the window for a second and like you can see people enjoying. It's great. The, the favorite thing that's ever happened to me is this first time Steve Earl was here he walks in from the front doors of the building and that is not a normal thing for an artist to do. Yeah. Um, so I was moving through the building doing something and I'm going through the hallway and I see this guy walk in the front door and I, I don't recognize him like at all. And I just go right up to him like I would any normal, like, excuse me, can I help you? And like, kind of like, <laughs> why are you just walking in my building at like four o'clock in the afternoon? And he was like, yeah, I'm playing the show here tonight. And I immediately kind of was like, I was like, oh, of course you are. Steve, yeah, it's great to, I was like, and I I kind of played it off. I was like, I'm sorry. Normally, to be fair, we don't usually see the artists at all. Like, they usually will hang out on the bus or in the green room. But the rest of the story is fantastic. He was like, oh, yeah, I was just walking back from lunch. I went and got me chicken fried steak. And I was like. Where did you go? He went to Cheevers. And I was like, awesome. How did you find out? It's like, well, I Googled chicken fried steak in Oklahoma City, and that's what popped up. Cheevers might be the only reason we booked Steve Earl two times in the last two years. And he came back the second time, and he did the same thing again. And it was great because I actually caught him on the second run walking back in the front door, and I was able to go back up to him and say, hey, how's it going? Good to see you again. I'm glad you're back. And yeah. like, So it was kind of a, Come was a fun in. thing. But <laughs> it was definitely a moment of like, oh, you got to be a little more careful next time. Or, And I think the real irony of that part is I, I probably not more than 10 feet away from me was like a 40-inch poster of his face, <laughs> like with the date on it. So, like, yeah. Yeah. He could have been worse about it. I'm sure he'd even oh, okay. Could, I'm By sure the way, I'm the on the wall. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's super cool. Well, guys, again, thanks for your time. I know you're super busy. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And how, how can we reach out? How can everybody reach out to you guys? And how can you guys personally, and if you want that, if not, um, how do they reach out to Tower and, and, you know, get some shows here and help you guys out? I live on, this is Chad. I live on Twitter, okay. uh, ATB Chad uh, on Twitter. And, I don't really do much of the other ones, but uh, you can find me on Twitter all day. Yeah. Uh, same, Twitter's a great one. Um, I'm at S-T-P-H-N-T-Y-L-R. It's my name with no E's. Um, you can find me on other things. And, of course, you can find Tower Theater, Tower Theater OKC. It's T-H-E-A-T-R-E. Um, and we're on Instagram, Twitter, yeah. Facebook. We're all over everywhere. Awesome. TowerTheaterOKC.com. Yeah. For tickets and showtimes and more. You can call 405-708-6937. 70 Tower. Okay, awesome. Um, Yeah, 70 Tower. (laughs) Let's leave it at that. Again, Jen's pleasure. Um, And yeah, I need to come see a show here because I haven't. So I need to do that. We'll talk about that as soon as the mics are off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Guys, thanks for listening. Uh, Definitely check out Tower Theater. I know you've driven by it a ton of times, and it's time for you to come in. Catch you later. Thanks, Mike. 
Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram. podcast was produced by Mike Hearn and Ian Weston, mixed by Alan Brown, with music by Chad Duro.